Hey, good morning, Center Church. Again, my name is John. If we've not met before, uh, I'm really thankful that you've joined us online. And I really believe that what God wants to say to us is significant today. And so I want to make sure if you've got a Bible or a journal or a pen, you've got those handy because there's going to be a lot of good stuff that I, I really believe that God is going to say this morning. Uh, a week ago, as many of you know, was Mother's Day. And I talked to my mom on the way over to record the sermon today. And I was reminded of the fact that uh, my mom hates tattoos. Now, if you're on the other side of this and you have one, don't feel offended yet. Uh, my mom hates tattoos, so I decided about four years ago uh, on my mom's birthday to get a tattoo. <laughs> and so four years ago, I got this tattoo on my ring finger. Uh, it's Kiro, which really means Christ in Greek. And so I got this just as a sign of like Christ uniting our marriage and very spiritual things. So I got that. And about four years ago, when I called my mom, I mean, she was like, are you serious? And the pain of my mom knowing that I had a tattoo was so small in comparison to the pain and suffering I went through to get this tattoo. I'm serious. It was the 15 worst minutes of my life, the most intense, concentrated suffering I've probably ever experienced. Uh, I'm sure you have stuff like that. Maybe you've been on a diet and it's like this season of pain and suffering just to lose a couple pounds before a wedding. Maybe you've been in a workout plan or you're doing some workout stuff over Zoom right now and it's like there's some serious moments of pain and suffering that you feel in order to get to your desired outcome. Maybe you've done some outpatient surgeries in which there was very intense moments of pain and suffering that got you to the other side. Here's what's interesting is that suffering is ultimately, it's just about being forced into a situation you can't control. Let me say that one more time. Suffering is being forced into a situation you can't control. But here's what happens in our Western American minds. We believe, and, and there's all parts of our society would, would agree with us, that suffering is an obstacle to God's love. That when you're suffering, God's either mad at you, or you've done something wrong, or you're not living perfectly in alignment with Him. Like, when you suffer, there's no way God is loving you. And so, we search for answers. Just like the book of Job, we try to find out theories and reasons, whether it's scrolling Facebook for the latest conspiracy theory, or trying to reach out to a friend who we think has answers, or even just searching the Bible, trying to figure out what is going on. We think that if we get answers, then we'll get back to God's love, if we can remove suffering. But let me ask you a question. How does Jesus respond to suffering? Now, seriously, how does the God of the universe approach our suffering? And especially Jesus, fully God, fully man, how does he interpret suffering even in his own life and for you you're probably facing moments of suffering and you've probably asked that question over the last couple of weeks like why is this all happening well i want to take you to a garden the garden of gethsemane in mark 14 starting in verse 32 uh, jesus is actually in a moment of suffering you can pick it up here with me in your in your bibles or on your device mark 14 32 see this garden that we're about to read about was a familiar place. Jesus and his disciples went there often, and so not only did the rest of the disciples know this garden, but so did Judas. And John mentions that Judas was familiar. The gospel writer John talks about the fact Judas knew where Jesus was, and Gethsemane was a place he would go, and Gethsemane for Jewish people was a big deal. Their 
most important king of all time, David, who you read about in 1st and 2nd Samuel and who wrote part of the Psalms and many other writings, as you look over that, you see that David used Gethsemane as an escape route. When he was facing persecution and suffering, he would escape through Gethsemane, and yet Jesus approaches it in a very different way. Let's read together in Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John, his core three, guys he had invested in more than any others along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Some translations say Jesus was in deep anguish, in deep suffering. He was feeling the effects of what was about to take place at the cross. And Jesus utters these very human words. My soul is overwhelmed to the point, with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them, stay here and keep watch. He says, Peter, James, and John, you stay here, you watch out, and I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go find a quiet place to be alone with my father. So going a little farther, once he gets out of reach of Peter, James, and John, he falls to the ground. Out of desperation and pain, out of that deep sorrow and anguish, he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him, that the cross wouldn't have to happen. And Jesus utters this prayer in verse 36, and he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Take this suffering away from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And look what Mark writes next. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. This is not keep watch and pray. This is real sleep. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray. Do what I'm doing, essentially, so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit's willing, but your flesh, yourself, who you are, it's, it's weak. What I find fascinating about why Mark writes is, is not long before this, Peter's declared, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the king. You're the anointed one. And yet in the midst of this anointed one suffering and impending death, Peter's asleep. He's not watching. He's not praying. He's asleep. He's skipping out on this moment. And maybe you've asked this too. How do they fall asleep at such a critical time, right? In the middle of an impending crisis, how can a disciple even do this? And to make matters worse, Jewish men, Jewish families and households on this night, Passover night, would spend hours well past midnight sharing the story of God's redemption for his people. And yet in the midst of the most redemptive act the world had ever seen, these guys are asleep. They're missing out. So I want to ask you, how does Jesus' prayer, how does this moment in the garden, how does this shape our view of suffering? How does it shape how we should look at suffering in our lives? I want to give you just a simple truth today, and I hope this is encouraging to you. It's simple. If you want to love like Jesus, you have to suffer like Jesus. To love like him is to truly identify and to embody what it means to suffer like him. And Jesus did not run from the reality of suffering in the story. 
In verse 34, what Mark records and what you have in your scriptures is literally the most human picture of Jesus we probably have in the Gospels. It's deep sorrow and anguish. It's, it's intimate prayer with his Father. In fact, Jesus doesn't use the religious word for Father here in this verse. He uses the phrase and, and the term Abba. If you've got kids, the sound of hearing your kids say, Daddy, that intimate relationship you have, that closeness, the actual tie, the bond that you have is demonstrated in just that one word. This is Jesus to his father, Abba. If there's any way I can do this and lead this path of redemption, if I can walk down this road of salvation any other way, could you make it possible? And ultimately he says, but not what I want. He sacrifices his own agenda. And trust me, more than maybe his own agenda, whatever that looked like, and we don't know, Mark doesn't say. There was other people who had agendas for Jesus as well. And yet, Jesus demonstrates his full love for humanity by suffering well, by suffering on our behalf and not quitting in the middle. I've seen this with people in our church. I've seen people like you learn to suffer like Jesus, to know that there's situations I can't control, but I'm going to live into these in a different way. It's the mom who gets up 30 minutes earlier than usual to spend time with God. Above, over and above being unemployed, having kids running around, having projects around the house, things that need to get done for clients, all that aside, 30 minutes to spend time with her Heavenly Father. It's the person who knows that Facebook is slowly destroying their soul and there's really been nothing good about it for them. It's the person that decides, you know what, I, I don't need that. They delete it from their phone. They move on. It's the same person who, every time they go to the store, stocks up on beer or wine. It's the mom who finds solace in that glass of Merlot at the end of the day and says, I don't actually need that anymore. I'm going to be honest with God. I'm going to depend on Him. I'm going to bring the suffering, the stress, the worry, the frustration, maybe the anger you feel right now during this crisis. I'm going to bring it all to Jesus and ask if He'll carry it for me. And that's what Jesus does for His Father. The cup is real. The suffering is real. He doesn't minimize the pain. And He felt everything. And yet He says, not my will, but what you want. In fact, what I think is crazy about the gospel of Mark is Mark 1 starts out with Jesus suffering. You remember this, which feels like a long time ago, but January, we started this journey through the gospel of Mark following in the footsteps of Jesus. And right at the beginning of Mark, Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he's hungry, he's thirsty, and he's spiritually tempted by Satan. Talk about suffering. And yet, after the cross is over and Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's commissioning his disciples in the end of the gospel stories, he doesn't say suffering is gone. He actually reminds them suffering is going to continue, but I'm with you. And if you really want to learn to love like me, you have to learn how I suffered. You have to be willing to suffer like me. So look how Mark continues his story in verse 39. Once more, he went away and he prayed the same thing. This is the third time Mark documents Jesus in prayer. When he came back, he again found them awake, watchful, and praying. 
not what it says. <laughs> again, he comes back and finds him sleeping. They've, again, missed the point. Their eyes were heavy, the text says, which literally just means they were really, really tired. They were exhausted. And he comes back, and, and they're asleep, and they probably crack one eye and see Jesus standing there, and they don't know what to say to him. Mark documents they, had, they were speechless. So verse 41, returning the third time, Jesus said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Are you still missing the point? Are you still not learning how to truly suffer alongside of me? He says, enough. This is over. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man, talking about himself, is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus sees through the olive trees Judas coming with his band of soldiers to take him, eventually to lead him to the cross. Friends, if you want to love like Jesus, you have to suffer like Jesus. It's a non-negotiable. And Paul, all throughout the New Testament, the apostle whose life was dramatically turned around, who went from persecuting and inflicting suffering on Christians to being inflicted with suffering for Christ. Even he, again and again, says that it's actually an act of rejoicing when you get to suffer. The book of Acts, again and again, the apostles who get thrown in prison, stoned, kicked out of the temple, told not to preach or else they were going to lose their life, they say, it's a joy to suffer. It's, it's a joy to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' name. If you want to love like Jesus, you have to suffer like Jesus. I was reminded of this in one of the coolest moments of all quarantine is my sister got married. Uh, actually, not the way she had planned because she was supposed to get married May 8th, and that was clearly not a reality. And so they had to postpone and cancel flowers and food and couldn't have any guests, and it was just our immediate family and a few other friends together in my parents' driveway, and my sister got married. Now, what I think is powerful is I was standing there as her oldest brother, and I was watching this take place, and the exchange of vows happened, which for me, as a pastor who gets to lead weddings and be a part of a lot of weddings, it's my favorite part. But here's why it's my favorite part, and here's why for me as a big brother, it was so incredible to watch is that Jordan and her now husband, Sam, they weren't making predictions to one another. They weren't even making plans to one another. They were making promises to one another. Because Jordan and Sam, like all of us, they don't know what the summer's gonna look like. They don't know what the next year's gonna look like. They don't know if they could get sick or someone they love could get sick or they could lose a job, they could have to move. I mean, they don't know any of that, but they've promised to love each other well, and even to love each other through suffering well. And that, to me, that promise is something that is moving to me personally. That's something I remembered. Lindsay and I, when we got married, we shared vows, but we also shared personal vows and said, I promise, because I can't plan. I can't predict. As a leader right now, even as leading our church, I can't plan and predict the future, but what I can do is learn to love well and learn to suffer well. And it's in that context that Jesus makes us more like him. Here's what's also interesting. and You may, you may be a part of this statistic, but 25% of Americans say that COVID-19 has helped them grow closer to God. 25%. Not, not of Christian Americans, of all Americans. Say that this 
crisis, this pandemic has actually led them closer to the feet of Jesus, to looking and living more like him. And I wonder why is that? Could it be that moments of suffering actually can be windows for us to see a better life, be opportunities for us to, to trust God, to be moments where we have a clear picture of what life is really about. It's not about a perfectly mowed lawn. Maybe it's not about the lake house. Maybe it's not about the 401k. Maybe it's not about having the right girl on the right date in the right restaurant. Maybe it's not any of those things. Maybe there's a lot more to it. If we really want to understand the love of Jesus, we have to learn to suffer like him. Because here's what's true. This lockdown will end. But have your habits changed? This lockdown will end, but has your marriage become more grace-filled? This lockdown will end, but will your kids think of you as being more present than ever before? More available than ever before? See, COVID-19 will eventually go away, but here's what's true. And if you're part of Center Church, I want you to hear me clearly as your pastor, as your friend. Your friends and neighbors are watching how you suffer right now. They're watching how you're interacting right now. They're watching what you post online right now. And they're making decisions about whether Jesus, the person you say to follow, is real or not, is kind or not, is faithful or not, is powerful or not, is worth giving their lives to. I want to illustrate this in kind of a unique way. And for that, I want to take you to my house. One of the reasons Lindsay and I bought this house is because we love trees. We have a bunch of oak trees in our yard and they're incredible until you have to rake them up, which you know if you have trees, that is a pain, but we love the beauty of the trees. They're huge, hundreds of years old. And in the garden, Jesus is praying in Gethsemane. There was olive trees all over the place and olive trees grow to thousands of years old. I mean, they are long, they withstand storms, they produce olives for hundreds of years. It's incredible to see. When I think about Jesus praying this prayer, and I think about the opportunity we have in moments of suffering, I think it's a little bit like becoming an oak tree. See, oak trees have roots about a foot and a half deep. They can go up to eight feet wide. But more than that, they can withstand storms, crises. I mean, these oak trees have lived through literally hundreds of years of Michigan winters and heavy winds and rain and possible tornadoes. I mean, they've made it through a lot. I think for so many of us, the opportunity is to let suffering create in us that type of resilience, that type of strength, that type of life in which we do learn to suffer like Jesus so that we can experience his love and to love other people like him. And so what I want you to do is take just a moment Now, I want you to actually read a passage from Hebrews 2 together, whether you're with your family or just by yourself, and read it out loud, because I think it's within this context we start to understand the the hope that we can have by suffering like Jesus. It's counterintuitive, but check it out in Hebrews 2.
What I love about that passage is that there's such hope in the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to suffer. And he knows what it's like to withstand those crises. And it was at the greatest point of his suffering, the cross, that he actually leans in more to the Father. He actually trusts and depends on the Father and has the audacity to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, that's the kind of prayer that we can pray, even in the midst of this quarantine and in the midst of economic struggle, in the midst of relational stress, and I'm not downplaying any of those things. But Jesus is actually pointing that we can be a part of something much greater than just getting back into our office. I know for me that this season has been that. It's been an encouragement from Jesus to to trust him more, to depend on him more. And frankly, this last week has been the hardest week for me. Because when people start to say re-entry and reopen, I'm like, oh, finally, we can get back to all those things. And that's probably a tendency for you too. Maybe if you're a student, you're like, I can't wait to get back to just normal high school life. But don't miss what God is doing in this. Don't miss the opportunity to resemble an oak tree. Don't miss the opportunity to actually grow deeper and and to suffer like Jesus, to surrender those situations that you cannot control. So I want to give you a real clear next step. Uh, This week, I want you to take some time. In the midst of Netflix marathons and Zoom calls and work emails, I want you to to find a few minutes. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's at night. Maybe it's sometime in the middle of the day or during lunch. And I want you to write down your point right now, as honest as you can, to process emotionally and think kind of introspectively about yourself and ask, where am I suffering right now? What is the most difficult thing in my life right now? And to write it down. To be brutally honest, you don't have to share it with anybody, but to be vulnerable. Because there's a a fear that I have about my own life and a temptation to think we all face that I'm just going to breeze through this and miss what God had started to do in me. And even acknowledge the things that are difficult and hard. So write it down. And then I want you to prayerfully read through Psalm 1. There's some stuff about trees in there. But I also think it's a vision for the kind of life we could have. And the psalmist writes in the very beginning of this book, the kind of life that people who truly trust in God and truly surrender to him and truly follow him, what their lives look like. So write down what's hard. What, where are you suffering? And then prayerfully read through Psalm 1 because I think it's in that context you're going to find hope. And if we truly do want to love like Jesus... We have to learn how to suffer like him as well, to give those situations we can't control over to him. And so would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray right now that you'd help us to truly be that kind of disciple, to trust you, to depend on you, and to be that kind of tree that's planted beside your living water. And our hope would not come from a government. Our hope would not come from the latest theory, or hope would not even come just from the, the ending of a virus and kind of, a, kind of a moving on, but that our hope would really come from you, that our provision, our needs would be met in you, that our own sense of value and identity would be met in you. And most of all, God, I pray that you would really help us as a church, as disciples of you, to suffer like you, to give over the situations that we cannot control the outcomes 
and to lean on you. So we just, we declare that together. God, would you help us as we are honest this week, as we write stuff down, as we pray through Psalm 1, as we read through it, I pray that that would just be truths that just wash washes over our lives. That's our prayer. We love you and commit this time to you and, and depend on you. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.